this week, uh, I'd like to invite you to uh, try to spend some time alone with God. Um, the challenge is to really uh, put it on your calendar. So schedule 30 minutes somewhere um, where you're going to spend time alone with God and don't do anything in that 30 minutes. There's no agenda. So don't have even a Bible reading ready. Um, don't worry about if you're going to pray or what you might say or what might you might ask for. Just 30 minutes with God. This is the spiritual practice of solitude. Being alone with our Lord. Now it's important when you enter into this practice that you have a, a proper orientation to God or uh, you have to know the God you are with or maybe more properly the God who is with you. So it's not enough to just think I'm going to spend time with God and I don't really know who God is or God is this force or this, or this thing out there, there has to be a, a bit of knowledge before you enter into it. We're going to spend some time with Psalm 25 this morning, uh, which we just heard part of. Uh, we heard the first 10 verses of that psalm, or we read it responsively together. And we're going to spend time with that psalm. Um, it's a very personal psalm, and it's one, I think, that comes out of uh, a deep personal relationship with God. The psalmist who wrote this, um, it, it's, it's a prayer, it's a conversation, it's them talking to the God that they know. And so I want to read it again. Um, I'm going to read the whole thing, though. Um, so we read the first 10 verses, but there's 22 verses. So I'm going to read this to you again and try to think of this, this person who wrote this is talking to God, is spending time alone with God, talking to God. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who are they that fear the Lord? He will teach them the way that they should choose. They will abide in prosperity and their children shall possess the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me, and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart, and bring me out of my distress. Consider my afflictions and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes. 
and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my life and deliver me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all its troubles. I think core to this psalm and core to a proper orientation to God or knowing the God you are with, core to this is a concept that most of us don't particularly like or want to think about. And I wonder to myself if uh, this psalm is the appointed reading for today. I wonder to myself if the reason why it gets stopped at verse 10 is because as soon as you get into verse 12, it mentions something that we don't like, fear. And you'll find this idea of fearing God, fearing the Lord throughout Scripture, most pronounced in the Old Testament, certainly, but also in the New And I think we need to somehow try to reclaim this idea of the fear of God, that, that a proper orientation toward God is actually this, this fear. It's a hard thing to think about because we're not quite sure what it means. We will sometimes really like to try to explain fear by replacing it with another word. We'll replace it with the word awe. And we'll, we'll say, well, fear in the Bible really means to be in awe of God. That God is majestic and grand, and so it's sort of this, oh, wow. And, and that's true. That does capture many of the times that fear is used in the Bible. It doesn't quite cut it all the time. If we also follow that idea of the awe of God or the majesty of God being this wondrous, amazing thing, an actual fear in terms of being afraid of experiencing that will quickly follow. Because if you did, in fact, see God in all his majesty and awe, I'm going to bet you'd be pretty afraid to have that kind of experience. Now, to illustrate this, I want to show you a, a picture so there's, there should be a, a picture here. Here you go. Um, this uh, is on, was on Facebook, pointed out to me by my wife. Hopefully no one else knows who this is. Um, but, uh, well, you might know who the hockey player is, the one with the C and the terrible jersey on. Um, <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs there. Um, so this is uh, someone that, uh, that Cheryl and I know. And uh, the, the line there, it says, had a few good battles with Hall of Famer Dougie Killer Gilmore today. Hashtag bucket list. Um, and uh, so Dougie Gilmore, people know who Doug Gilmore is. So a famous hockey player. He's in the Hall of Fame. And he was in Winnipeg and was playing at the Iceplex. And uh, mine and Cheryl's friend Drew got to play hockey against him. And uh, Doug Gilmore was known for being pretty tough. Okay. You, you can take the picture away because I think then we'll just be worried about that picture for too long. I was thinking uh, this morning, actually, if I got invited to play hockey against Doug Gilmore, I'd be terrified. He is so far beyond my level, 
because I can't skate. I just heard someone say that, right? Like, I can't skate. So there's absolutely no way. But even if I could skate, I'd be a little scared to play against Doug Gilmore. Drew, not so much. Good hockey player and, and would love it, right? But I'd be, I'd be terrified. Okay, there's no way I can do that so far beyond my level. And we think about spending time with God where God invites us, hey, come and spend time with me. We should be a little terrified of that. I mean, God is, a, is quite a bit beyond our level. But it's actually more than that when it comes to God, because God, God's pretty welcoming. God, is, God wants to. God loves you. God cares about you. And we know all those things about God. But you see, it would be more like, imagine that years ago I'd gone to a Jets game. This is a, the, the previous Jets, because this is when Doug Gilmore was playing. Imagine that I'd gone to a Jets game, and I had tickets that were close to the Leafs bench. And Doug Gilmore comes off after you know, a hard shift, and I take my drink, and I throw it over, and I throw it on top of Doug Gilmore's head, and I start yelling swears at him and all this kind of thing, and I get kicked out, and then I find him after, and I, and I say, I want to fight, and, and, he, and he says, okay, and then... Um, <laughs> but imagine if I did that, and then imagine, years later, I have the opportunity to play hockey with him, and he looks at me and thinks, I remember you. Okay, come on the ice. Because it's not just that God is beyond our level when it comes to fear. It's that we, as human beings, are steeped in wrongdoing, in sin, in an affront against God. And when you're confronted by God, you become keenly aware of this. That we completely fall short. That we're so far beyond. I mean, we, we sometimes think that there's sort of this scale of, of goodness, of human goodness. And we'll have, we'll have God up here, and then we'll have Mother Teresa, and then we'll have, you know, uh, other good people that we might think of. And we're somewhere in the middle, and then down here we've got murderers and... <laughs> Uh, terrible dictators and people responsible for genocide are way at the bottom. But in reality, it's, it's God up here and then everyone else down here. And maybe Mother Teresa's at the top, but she's still down here. We're not even close to God's righteousness. I mean, it, and this should be so painfully obvious. We don't want to hear this. But this should be just so painfully obvious to us as human beings. Um, just watch the news and then try to tell me that there's not evil and that there's not sin in this world. Why don't you try uh, keeping track of your thoughts for a week and tell me if there's never any resentment or anger or grudges that you're holding on to or little thoughts of hurt that you'd like to inflict on somebody. Or just slightly cheating on something. And I'm not even asking you to think about your actions, but think about your actions for the last year. Think about your family and how absolutely perfect it is, right? Like, 
think about the friends you have, and then think about the people who you've decided I'm not gonna be friends with them because they're that, they're that person over there. We could go on and on and on and on about human sin. And each of those things that we do is an affront to God. And the, the best way that I have of thinking about this is that each of us, while our sin offends God, each of us are also God's children. So each time that we sin against someone, we are sinning primarily against God. If someone would hurt my daughter, uh, she would probably be over it if it was a smaller thing pretty quick. But I would have real trouble forgiving that person. Now, God is infinitely good and is not going to have trouble forgiving. But, but we need to keep this kind of thing in mind when it comes to our orientation toward God is not one of being casual, is not one of, uh, well, it's automatic. God has to forgive me because of God's character. God's grace and forgiveness ought to surprise us because when confronted by him, we should be keenly aware of our sin. And so I think this is this idea of the fear of God. We need to reclaim it, because when we don't have it, we start to just treat God too lightly. And we look in the psalm, Psalm 25, we find this concept is right there, and it's portrayed in, I think, a really beautiful way. So we go to verse 12 through 14. This is, this is the section where it's talked about. It says, who are they that fear the Lord? You will teach them the way that they should choose. Proper orientation toward God, this fear, you will learn the way you should choose, what you should do. And what will happen for those that fear the Lord, have this proper orientation? They will abide in prosperity, verse 13, and their children shall possess the land. And then I love verse 14. It's one of, the, I think, one of the best verses in the Psalms. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear the Lord. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear the Lord. Now that seems weird, because why would we ever want to be friends with somebody who we're afraid of? But think about it this way. The people who are your true friends are the people who know you and know who you really are. And if you know who God really is and you know who you really are in relation to God, that, that there's God and there's you, you're now in a proper relationship with God. You're starting to understand who God really is. And what does God do with that understanding? He calls you his friend. So it's the friendship that God brings to you. Um, other translations, this is the NRSV translation. The New International Version doesn't use the word friendship, but uses a concept that um, is about friendship. And it's this, the Lord confides in those who fear him. It's interesting, isn't it? So you have this proper orientation to God, you're with God, you spend time with him, and God confides in you. I mean, isn't that an amazing thing? 
or I think the King James, I'm, I'm trying to remember, but the King James is something like the Lord gives his secret to those who fear him. You learn the, the mind of God, what God's thinking, what God wants you to know. He confides in you. He trusts you. He gives you his friendship. Uh, fear of the Lord means knowing who God really is. Another translation says that it talks about the deliberation of the Lord is entrusted to you. That you receive God's thinking. Now, this proper orientation to God leads to a couple of things which are pretty uh, prevalent in the psalm. There's lots of different themes in this psalm. I'm going to talk about two of them that I think are helpful, in particular during Lent, and we already kind of mentioned those in connection to uh, fasting. And that is, first, an awareness of sin, and second, learning. So as we look through this psalm, we find verse 7. The psalmist crying out to God, Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me. The words that are used here, we sometimes can trip up on these words for sin. Do not remember the sins. The word is a Hebrew word which basically means missteps um, or the idea of sin being missing the mark. So it's more like, um, when I was young, I made a lot of mistakes. And now looking back, I realize, oh, I was way off. Do not remember the missteps of my youth. And, but you're not off the hook, because then you get the next word, which says, or my transgressions, which is the Hebrew word which means outright rebellion. <laughs> so, so do not remember those times when I, when I kind of messed up. And do not remember those times when I knew exactly what was right and I went in totally the opposite direction and rebelled against you. Do not remember those, O oh God. But the second half of that verse, isn't it beautiful? Do not remember those things, but according to your steadfast love, remember me. Right? Do not remember my missteps or my rebellion, but according to your love, remember me. Isn't that right? Psalmist uh, calls us all sinners. The Lord instructs sinners, which again is the same word, those who miss the mark. Instructs sinners in the way. Verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is very great. Guilt, um, we don't understand really what biblical concept of guilt is because we think guilt is a feeling. Um, the word here actually is much more closely related to the idea of, of being uh, twisted in some way. So if you were going to try to get at a literal meaning, it would, be cons- um, it would be pardon my twistedness, for it is very great. And that really fits pretty much right exactly how the biblical worldview about sin teaches, right? That we're created good in the image of God, and what happens? That gets distorted and twisted. So this is really asking for God to undo that. And then in verse 18, consider my afflictions and my trouble, 
forgive all my sins or missteps again. The psalm invites us into confession. And so as we think about having a proper orientation to God when we are spending time with God, that ought to lead to confession, an awareness of who we are as fallen, as twisted, as those who make mistakes and those who rebel. Take that to God. Don't sit in it and dwell in it. Every week we have a prayer of confession and an assurance of forgiveness. And we do that on purpose every week. And it's not there to make us feel guilty. It's there to remind us that God is gracious and good. That by all rights, it should just stay as God magnificent and amazing and wonderful and righteous and us as the scum of the earth. And God doesn't let it stay that way. It's God that lifts us up out of the pit and forgives our sin and gives us a new life. It's not that we work really hard at being good so that we can get good things. God just gives it away for free. And this is what's asked for in verse 6 of our psalm. In, in the King James, I love it in the King James, in this, this one it says, Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness. I, I, I really like that word, I think, though, is, is what, I, what I really like, is, is loving kindness. Such a great word. We don't use it. And then the second half of that verse says, For they have been ever of old. They've always been around. So this, this goes along with don't remember my sins, don't remember my missteps, don't remember any, any of those things. Don't remember my rebellion, but remember me and remember, O oh Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness because that is core to who you are. That is who you, you have been from the beginning. So that's the first one. The first one in spending time having solitude with God is this idea of confession, of having an awareness that we are sinners, that we're fallen, and that it's God who lifts us up. So let's lay that sin upon God and be open and upfront about it, that we are not deserving of the love that he gives, but he gives it anyway. The second one is learning. Verse 4 of the psalm, make me to know your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. Verse 5, lead me in your truth and teach me. Verse 8 and 9, the Lord instructs sinners in the way, leads the humble in what is right, and teaches them the way they should go. Verse 12, who are they that fear the Lord? You will teach them the way that they should choose. Verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear the Lord, who makes the covenant known to them. What is interesting about these verses and the orientation of this psalm is something that we often forget. God is the teacher in the psalm. God is the teacher. We, will, uh, we don't think about education that way when it comes to, to learning. 
we'll, we'll think that we should learn something about God. So we come to church and you'll hear sermons and you go home and maybe, I hope, you've learned something about God. Sometimes you'll hear, and I've even used this idea, that actually it's not so much about learning about God, it's, it's learning God the same way that I would learn about my wife. It's a relational kind of learning. Over time, we will learn about one another, and we ought to learn about God in that same way. So it's not so much that we're learning book knowledge about God, but we're learning relational knowledge about God. But this psalm seems to even go a step beyond that and say, well, that's true, but let's not forget who the teacher is. So it's not that you come to church on a Sunday morning to hear a sermon so that you can get either of those kinds of knowledge somehow. It's not that you go to a Bible study or that you sit down and read your Bible and think, well, now I need to learn something about God. It's that God is the teacher. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. In a lot of ways, as a preacher, this is fantastic news for me. Because you could come here week after week and learn nothing from me. And that's okay, because you're not supposed to be learning from me. You're supposed to be learning from God. Great news for me. Of course, in a few weeks, we're passing a church budget, and my stipend is in there. So hopefully you decide you want to keep me around. But it's not that we're learning. From, I mean, community is important, and learning from each other is important, learning from the preacher and sermons. All of that's important, but let's not forget who we're really supposed to be learning from. It's God. Without spending time with the teacher, you're not going to learn from the teacher. And who better to learn from? Who here has stopped learning? No? Well, who better to learn from? It's really hard because we learn from all kinds of things, don't we? All around us, the books we read, the people we meet, the chance encounters we have. The TV shows we watch, the movies we watch, we learn from all of that. And, and we're, we're not going to choose, we're not going to choose the, the, the right things to learn from. We can make, we'll make some of those choices and then we'll, we'll celebrate, okay, I did uh, 15 minutes a day with God. But we continue to be steeped in sin and we will not spend the time that we ought to be spending with God. No matter what we do, we'll choose the wrong thing. But God is so gracious. God is so kind and so loving. God will find a way. God will find a way to, to, to teach you and to reach out to you and be there for you. I mean, who better to, to be with than the Lord? 
who better, who better to be with? You, know, you think about that, that picture of the, the hockey player. Uh, you know, the, the person who posted that on Facebook, overjoyed. Wow, I got to play hockey with Doug Gilmore. This is awesome. Do we have that kind of joy? Who better to be with than God? And we have that opportunity every single day. And you cannot tell me that it, that it gets old or it gets boring or it gets dull or anything like that. For me, it never gets old going home and seeing my wife and daughter. I can do that every day. It's great. It does not get old to spend time with God. It's a joy. It's a joy. So I encourage you this week. I encourage you this week. Take half an hour. If you already take half an hour, figure out a little more or something like that. Or pay close attention to what you're doing in that time with God. And don't come up with an agenda or anything like that. It's time to spend with God.